Thank you. Thank you for having me tonight. Um, right, I'm going to read off Kia ora, fellow travellers, fellow inhabitants of this earth. I want to acknowledge Papatuanuku, Mother Earth and Ranganui Father Sky. I want to acknowledge Indigenous people of this land, Māori, and I myself as Pākehā and all peoples as being equal under the God. I want to acknowledge all sentient beings, all creatures great and small, all plant life, all of God's great and magnificent creation to whom we belong. I want to honour those who have gone before us and those who will come after us. And I want to say thank you for inviting me here to speak to you tonight. Um, my name is Rebecca. Yes, I'm part of Extinction Rebellion. Um, I'm an ordinary person. Um, I've never been an activist before. Um, and I became interested in Extinction Rebellion after watching a YouTube clip with this title here, Heading for Extinction and What to Do About It. You're going to get a short version of that tonight. Um, I recommend you go online and listen to the whole thing um, and listen to the full version. Um, I've known about climate change for many, many years. Um, and I knew it was a big problem, and I figured the government was doing something about it. Um, I kind of abdicated my responsibility to them. Um, what I've learned is that our political governing system is incredibly broken, and they have known and done nothing for a long, long time. Um, I was going to read a quote out of this book here. Extinction Rebellion published this book this year. Um, you can buy, I bought this copy on Lincoln Road at the coffee shop there, which the co-op coffee shop there. So this is a quote from there. It says here, we stand now where two roads diverge, but unlike the road in Robert Frost's famous poem, they're not quite equally fair. The road we have long been travelling is deep, deceptively easy, a smooth superhighway on which we progress with great speed, but at the end lies disaster. The other fork in the road, the one less travelled by, offers our last, our only chance to reach a destination that assures the preservation of our earth. That is a quote from this book. This book was written before I was born. We've been talking about this for a long, long time and doing nothing. And it's tragic. So after watching this long version um, on YouTube, I got interested in getting involved. I was quite shaken. Um, and I began to go weekly to the Friday night meetings at the WEA Centre in Gloucester Street, the WEA, Workers' Education Association. It's been there for many years. I used to live beside it when I was a student. Every Friday night, something happens there on the climate and ecological emergency. Go, have a look. Um, okay. What really sold me on Extinction Rebellion, though, and helped me hang in there when I wanted to go, when things got tough for me, was this clip from Rowan Williams. If you don't know who Rowan Williams is, he's a crusty, as um, <laughs> we've been referred to. He was Archbishop of Canterbury in England. Um, his readings I find very uh, inspiring. And this clip here, if we play that, I have to push the button again. I think. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't. 
Here it goes. It really isn't an exaggeration to say that the future of the human race is now at stake. The nature of the changes in climate and environment that we're living with threaten not only the well-being, but possibly the very being of our species and this planet in the long term. And in the middle term, they threaten some of the most vulnerable populations on Earth. It's not at all surprising that people in this urgent situation feel they've got to take non-violent direct action. They've got to find a way of putting the case for the human race before those in power. That's what Extinction Rebellion is doing. That's what the Friday strikes are doing. And that's why I believe a wide, deep support from the public is needed to bring this matter fully to the attention of our political leaders, to show that we can actually achieve democratic change for the good of everybody in our world as well as in this country. So when I had my doubts, when I went to work and no one was talking about this, when I went to church and no one was talking about this, when I went to my family dinners and no one was talking about that, I could watch Ryan Williams and I, think, I could think, yeah, actually, this is real. This is not a drill. <laughs> um, the basic premise of this talk, can someone tell me when I'm halfway through, please, by the way, is to tell you the truth and to encourage you to act on the truth. And the truth is very scary. And you may find yourself experiencing strong emotions during this talk, and that's all part of the process of getting to grips for what is happening. Um, everyone in Extinction Rebellion goes through times of deep sadness, deep anger, extreme fear, and those are all perfectly natural and appropriate emotions to this topic. These emotions are the start of a kind of grieving process, which Extinction Rebellion are very good at helping us manage our way through. I want to emphasise too, though, that you're not helpless or powerless, um, and that when we, we join together, we do have power, we do have some control over our destiny, and we can change things. School Strike for Climate, Greta Thunberg has shown that she's got a worldwide movement going. Extinction Rebellion um, are also showing that. Who here has heard of IPCC? Hands up. One. Two. Okay, well, we're going to do this slide. The IPCC, um, I'm going to presume you all know about greenhouse gases. We're not even going to go there. You can Google that if you need to. The IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And this is a good place to start when we're talking about climate science, okay? Um, I won't go into the history of them because I know that I'm short for time. Their reports are cautious and conservative due to a lengthy consensus process, which is that. If some aspect of climate science cannot be agreed on by everybody, it is left out. So consensus is reached at the lowest common denominator. Okay, so if something is particularly out there, and maybe a few scientists just believe it, um, then it's left out because they need consensus of all scientists. I think there's something like 100-odd scientists. I can't remember them. One of them is at the University of Canterbury, Bronwyn Hayward. Um, we also need to be aware by the, that by the time these reports are published, they're already out of date because these reports come out every four years. In October last year, the IPCC, the Inter governmental panel on climate change changed their tone. They released a special report. 
They gave us 12 years to avoid catastrophic climate breakdown. This is a conservative scientific community who leave out the really bad stuff, telling all our governments that we have 12 years to avoid catastrophic climate breakdown. It was a shocking report and for many people, for many people and received massive global news coverage. And despite the drastic language that they used, the report was still criticised by the scientific community for not expressing the true scale of the climate crisis because it didn't mention climate-driven refugees or the danger of tipping points. And tipping points are points of no return where we lose control of carbon emissions. At the moment, we're in control. We stop carbon emissions, we stop climate change. But a lot of scientific community think we're going to reach tipping points where that control, nature will take over and we won't have control. So at the moment, carbon emissions are through our activities. Um, the report says this, that keeping global average temperature rise below one and a half degrees can be done but that relies heavily on negative emission technologies, and that's the removal of CO2 from the atmosphere. It relies on this stuff. This is called BECS. Um, BECS stands for Biomass Energy Carbon Capture and Storage. For that, what you do is you grow trees and plants, which take down the CO2 out of the atmosphere as they grow, then you chop them down, then you take them off to this power station, you burn them, you capture the CO2, you liquefy it, you pump it through pipelines, and you store it underground, under pressure. Hopefully, it'll stay there for thousands of years. This technology has not been tested at scale, and we're relying on this, according to the IPCC report. It's expensive, it's inefficient, and it's never worked at scale anywhere in the world. That's what we're relying on. That guy there, Kevin Anderson, in June 2019, said this, these technologies exist at best as small pilot schemes and often only in the imagination and computers of professors and entrepreneurs. So in reality, we're passing the buck onto our children to invent and deploy technologies to suck CO2 out of the air that we choose to continue to emit today. Um, some of the processes that happen, happen with CO2 in the air um, are called feedback loops. So I'm going to give you a couple of feedback loops. Um, this is the latent heat effect. This is easy, easy science. You've probably done it before. But when you apply heat to a, cup of a, a substance, its temperature normally increases. This is not the case when it, while a phase change is occurring, like going from ice to water, or water to steam. Applied to the Arctic, this means as long as there's ice, then the heating energy from the sun and the atmosphere goes into melting the ice and the temperature doesn't rise. 80 Kilocalories is the amount of energy required to melt one kilogram of ice. The same amount of energy applied to water increases the water temperature to 80 degrees Celsius. So once there's no ice in the Arctic, the water temperature, and with it the air temperature of the whole system, skyrockets. 
Another one of these uh, feedback loops is called the ice albedo effect. Like a white t-shirt or white roof, the white ice reflects heat. Dark oceans absorb heat, and in turn, this melts more ice. So it's a system that feeds into itself, and these are called feedback loops. So the more ice melts, feeds into the dark oceans, draws down more heat, melts more ice. Levels of CO2 in the atmosphere. We're concerned with carbon dioxide levels because it is the main greenhouse gas. Last 230 years, last 30 years. It's another one. It goes back 800,000 years. We've never been at the level we're at now. The IPCC report and had life on Earth, humans on Earth. The IPCC report says we must aim to limit global warming to one and a half degrees Celsius, but we're already at 1.1 degree above pre-industrial levels. This is a wee video that actually doesn't work, so we're not going to play it. Um, we'll go to... Oh, clicking not working. So these, uh, they've identified 10 different um, abrupt climate change feedback loops around the world at the moment. That just really names all of them. Um, at 2 degrees Celsius of warming, we're at 1.1 right now, 99% of tropical coral reefs will disappear. We're at 1.1. That's an entire component of the Earth's biosphere would be eliminated. 25% of all marine life depend on coral reefs. 50% of the Great Barrier Reef is already dead. Thank you. Another concern with um, climate change is the global food security. Um, it's already being severely impacted. Um, places like Syria, who I understand Antitok is named after as a city in Syria. Jenny was telling me earlier, Syria's troubles at the moment are impacted by climate change and drought and moving their cattle to look for feed is one of the problems. What climate change does is it intensifies everything else. So you've already got a problematic area and it gets intensified. Globally, the number of undernourished people have been falling um, around the world, but since 2015, this number has started to rise again. Um, what happens to our society when food prices spike? Um, Syria. Arab Springs, Ethiopia, they're all start, they all started with food crises. We saw riots, starvation, and the breakdown of society. Mm. 
these dots are just the places where sea level rise are going to be greatly impacted. Most of our cities and towns around the world are by oceans or by the sea. Um, so this map shows the populations at risk of flooding. Um, some will be submerged forever. Others will sustain vast damage and destruction. A 2016 report identified 18,000 Christchurch properties vulnerable to sea level rise. 18,000 Christchurch properties. Do you know how many Christchurch properties were affected by the earthquakes? Anybody? Yeah, 8 to 10,000. I've got 10,000 here, so 8,000. So this 2016 report, 18,000 homes. That's big for Christchurch. Estimates suggest several metres over the next 50 to 100 years of, several, of, of sea level rise, and Pacific Islands will no longer exist with two to three metre rise. Some people don't, don't think that sea level rise actually matters, that if we get to that sort of thing, well, we're kind of stuffed anyway. Um, but World Bank... Reliable sources, Cornell University, they say by 2050, 140 million people around the world will be on the move. Where did these people go? Look at the racism in New Zealand about immigrants now. The World Bank look at a potential 2 billion people on the move by the end of the century. 2 billion people by the end of the century. And that's not necessarily from sea level rise, but that's from losing their water or other natural resources. And it's not just between countries, it will happen within countries. There's a community uh, here in New Zealand, uh, I have forgotten the name of it, it's in Hawke's Bay, I think it's an old people's home. They've been flooded three times. They're moving. So it's already happening here in New Zealand. Oh, here it is. 60 residents on the coast of Hawke's Bay are retreating. They've had to evacuate three times in the past two years. Get rid of that. And Granity on the west coast are facing the same fact and will have to move at some point along with New Brighton, South Dunedin, and many other communities are seriously looking at their situation. I'm not going to go into all the other ecological pressures on our land, but there's a lot of them. Um, I read a report about all the bull kelp in Littleton Harbour. Um, they call these abrupt localised extinction events. All the bull kelp disappeared from Littleton Harbour in March 2018. It's not coming back because another species has come and taken over that space. So a whole system, ecological system, that relied on bull kelp is now gone in our own Littleton Harbour. Pollution? Oh, mass extinction. So this is why we're called Extinction Rebellion. Um, uh, we are in the sixth mass extinction. It's called the anthropogenic extinction. Um, there have been five mass extinctions in the past that scientists can see in geological record. The last one that killed all the dinosaurs was caused at least in part by an asteroid strike. The other four 
were caused by rapid increases in atmospheric CO2, triggered, they think, by huge volcanic eruptions, which in turn set peat or coal seams alight. Peat or coal seams alight. The most devastating extinction event to date was the Permian-Triassic extinction, in which 97% of all life was lost due to runaway feedback loops and the gassing, basically, of the planet. The level of CO2 emissions then is where we are currently headed today, but our rate of emission increases mirrors that of the asteroid strike. So we are in an unprecedented experiment. We know that human extinction is a possibility on our current business-as-usual path. Oh, that video works. That's them releasing methane. Methane is a very potent greenhouse gas. It's, I think, something like 12 times as potent as CO2. It lasts in the atmosphere shorter, but it breaks down into CO2. This is why there's all this talk about cows and methane and... New Zealand at the moment. So we've already entered the sixth mass extinction. You can look that up. Since the 1970s, we've lost 70% of all, 60% of all wildlife. You can read that yourself, I guess. Deforestation, overfishing, bushmeat. Jane Goodall talks about bushmeat. One in four mammals, one in eight birds, one third of all amphibians. Two minutes. Okay. So, what we say at Extinction Rebellion is we don't want hope. We want courage. We want courage and we want action. This lady here says the opposite of hope is not despair, it is grief. And while resolving to limit the damage, we can mourn. And here, the sheer scale of the problem provides a perverse comfort, because we are in this together. The swiftness of change at scale and, and its inevitability binds us into one. We need courage, not hope. I'm going to race through this. This is Parihaka. Who knows about Parihaka? Are you? Okay, well, Parihaka are fabulous. Parihaka are what gives uh, Gandhi and Extinction Rebellion our non-violent, peaceful, civil disobedience platform, foundation. Um, uh, close to St Mary's in Addington, where I go to church, is Addington Jail, which is where Tefiti and Te Tohu were jailed. Um, Whilst they were here, they were showing lots of our European culture, kind of to show off, I guess. And Tafiti had this to say, Pākehā have some useful technology, but not the kindness of heart to see that Māori also possess much great technology, which if Pākehā were prepared to adopt, would lead to stability and peace and the building of a great new society. Women's suffrage movement... And uh, this is um, Extinction Rebellion key principles. This is, we're just in the process of um, taking the English 10 principles, translating them into te reo Māori and tra translating them back into English. And it's so much nicer. Um, such a better translation. I like the last one. With your assistance and mine, we will survive. 
the labour and results are one and the same. And valid. Be valiant. Be resolute. Be buoyant. Let your spirit be tranquil in these efforts and in all of these circumstances. So we are disruptive and we do want to be peaceful. We're a non-violent network. We have a strong regenerative culture. It's um, Christchurch, the school strike for climate. That's me in Wellington. Um, it's always festive. I blocked the back of um, the uh, Ministry of Business and Innovation building. Um, I was there with a deaf woman, uh, some Māori woman, some Pākehā. Um, we ranged in age from, I don't know, not good at ages, but young people through to a 75-year-old woman was with me. I chose not to get arrested. 30 people were arrested. Um, and we do that because that's what gets us in the paper. And we want to get in the paper and we want people to know something. We want people to do something about it. We want action. Could go to that. And that's that other video. Let's end with Rowan Williams' video. Great to be here, great to see that the spirit of the whole thing is building, that the feel is peaceful, positive, and you know, the whole sense of what's being said and the way it's being said all fits together. That's the most important thing. The means and the message doesn't benefit. And I think that, that's really important to hold on to. Delighted to see that in the video. I will go on like that. It's, it's a difficult time, I know, and I think the um, police crackdown in the last couple of days has made things really tight. And it's good to see people still holding their ground and still think it's worth being here. Our next action is this Thursday. We have a training Wednesday night out, out at South New Brighton Community Centre. Everyone's welcome. Um, just because you come to the train, there's, there's always this thing in Extinction Rebellion where you come and go at as your spirit moves you, you might say. Um, I'll be going to that training. I've done two other non-violent direct action trainings. Um, and then we're going to disrupt the gas forum uh, which I believe is at Ridges Hotel. So if you want to bring your band down, come along. We're going to be making lots of noise. We'll be singing lots of Waiata. Uh, and some people will probably get arrested. I'm not sure if I will or not. <laughs> you had a question, Jenny? Yeah. Thank you very much, Rebecca, for challenging us. And I just wanted to ask, as a, as a Christian and as a person of faith, how, how a lot of it, you know, if, as it comes at you, it's pretty challenging stuff and it could be a bit depressing. How, 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 do, how do you keep the faith, in terms of, how does your Christian faith exhort you to carry on as part of this and not give up? <laughs> not give up probably is a good thing. I, do, I, I get extremely sad about it sometimes. Um, but what I love about Extinction Rebellion is we go there and we talk about this stuff and people don't shut you down when you want to talk about it. So... Um, they're not necessarily Christian. Some of them may or may not be, but it's certainly a broad church. Um, me personally, I have a strong um, a centering prayer. Um, what do you call that? Centering prayer uh, habit. <laughs> uh, so um, rhythm of prayer, uh, which is silence, me listening to God and God listening to me. And 
and where that intersects is, is, is where I meet God. Uh, so um, I practice silence 20 minutes a day, sometimes 20 minutes twice a day. Um, and we have a, a centering prayer group at St. Mary's as well. So that really holds me. Um, and I am very aware that sometimes I need to not do anything <laughs> and get in the garden. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so, um, something creative. Yes, yes, so creativity is great. But again, Extinction Rebellion is great at creativity. They have a creativity circle. So, yeah. Um, so thank you. Um, Right, but there will be the opportunity over a cuppa to have a chat with people and talk about 